All right, good morning. I want to just get right to it, but also pray first with all the big changes that are happening and uh, everything that we've gone through the last year and who knows what the future holds. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for how you love us and how you say you'll never leave us, even to the ends of the age. And uh, Lord, we're so grateful that you make those promises that we don't even ask for because we couldn't imagine how good you are. Uh, we thank you for um, being back in the building, uh, for health, as our community is just going through a new challenge. But Lord, help us to think hospitably and to see how it is paramount in your church and your people to be hospitable. We are sharing um, the fruits of eternal hospitality every time we love someone well, every time we share the gospel, every time we call someone, every time we just drop something off because someone's not feeling well. I know I've been blessed by the hospitality of this church over and over and over again, uh, and I just pray that we would bless each other uh, with heaven's fruit and bless this community in your name. Amen. So today we're talking about hospitality, and uh, we're going to start just reading a few scriptures. 2 Kings 4, 8. One day Elisha went to Shunem. A prominent woman who lived there persuaded him to eat some food. So whenever he passed by, he stopped there to eat. And it's just part, a small part of the story of the prophet Elisha. But it points out that there's a woman who just uh, respected him and, and wanted what he had, wanted to just sit and talk with him. And she invited him into her home, and every time he passed by, he stopped there to eat. Romans 12, 13, Paul's towards the end of his letter, and he said, Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. And we think of hospitality as um, having someone in our home, and that's a huge part of it. But what it is, is sharing with the saints in their needs. When there's a, a person in your life, a person in our church who needs help, who, who needs a phone call, who needs to be taken out to lunch, who needs, in the good way, um, who needs to be loved, who has a need, that's hospitality when you step in and care for them. 1 Peter 4.9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And that can be a challenge as well. Um, there may be times where you just don't feel like it. And I always try to remember that I'm sure there were times when Jesus just didn't feel like it. And yet he submitted to his Father and he loved well. We know uh, without a doubt that going to the cross, he really didn't feel like it. And yet he did it without grumbling. He said, you know what? This is right. I will submit to my Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So I like that one. Be hospitable to one, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Paul knows we're human. Hebrews 13.2 Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. And this is one of those verses in the Bible that you just got to say, well, it's in there. If it says what it says, it means what it means. That you may be entertaining angels when you show hospitality to strangers. 
I just think it's a beautiful verse, and uh, it'd be really cool if, if I've done that, if you've done that, if you've cared for a homeless person on the street and just prayed for them or given them some food or, or money, and it turned out to be an angel, and that angel walks up to you in heaven one day and says, hey, that was me. Good job. We know that hospitality is a gift, and yet it's a gift that all believers are meant to share. We know that the world will be judged by how they treat believers. It goes way back to the very first blessing given to Abraham. Through you, the world will be blessed. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. So by the way the world judges and treats believers, so too will they be judged. Especially it talks about to the nations. And then we are sharing our heavenly home when we share Christ's love. When we're meant to to share that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, not just in the future, but it's right here, right now. That your hospitality is showing forth that future love, that future grace and hospitality of heaven. And I'm going to, it's a, it's going to be a strange few passages today, um, because I think a lot of the study I've done has shown that we've missed a great explanation for uh, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah and the righteousness of Lot. Usually when you hear about Lot, and it says righteous lot in uh, Hebrews, I always kind of go, ah, was he though? Uh, but we're going to get into it here, but we're going to start in Matthew 10. Verse 1. Matthew 10, verse 1. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, and I... We rarely just read through the, the names of the disciples, so I thought it would be a great verse here. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor cop copper in your money belts, nor beg for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is unworthy, let your peace return to you. We're going to stop there. We have the list of the twelve apostles. We see that they're given power to preach, heal the sick, to cleanse. Uh, to perform miracles, to raise the dead. And who among them uh, should leave you scratching your head like, what, he did that? Judas. It even ends with it. And Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. It's very important. Uh, just because someone has a title in front of their name, just because someone has done great things, um, does not mean that they're of God. It's kind of scary. Uh, it should help us to remember that verse that says you need to test the spirit 
is only one spirit that performs miracles in God's name, and that is the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of other lying spirits out there, and what I uh, have noticed over the years now, of, of there's been several times where I've had long conversations with, with pastors I disagree with or with people who are obsessed with uh, spirits and demonic fighting and oppression and all that is, will they praise the name of Jesus? Will they say in the name of Jesus Christ? Will they share the gospel? Is Jesus the focal point or is it them? Is it the experience? Is it what happened and how everybody gets to talk about it now? And it was mind-blowing. But where's Jesus? That's one of the greatest ways you can test the Spirit. Where do they put Jesus? And so they went out two by two. And Jesus said, if there's someone worthy, meaning find a respect, the respected person in that small town and ask to stay with them. See if they care for you. If they do, let your peace go out on them. And if they do not, let your peace return to you. And Jesus is telling his disciples, messengers, that's what disciples means, to give his peace or hospitality or rest to each household who receives them and receives their words. Just like Abraham, he's saying, bless those who bless you. Go out, perform miracles, signs and wonders, and bless those who bless you. And whoever will not receive, your, receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable, tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Kind of out of nowhere, gets really judgmental, really scary. It'll be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment for than the cities that reject you. The, the bridegroom is here. You're getting the invitation to the wedding feast and they're rejecting you. And so whoever rejects the peace, hospitality, rest of God, will be rejected by God. There's a two-way relationship to heaven and hell, to salvation and condemnation. It is, if you reject me, I'll reject you. If you call out to me, I will always answer. For any sinner who wants to be saved, that's always and forever going to be true until it's not, until that last day of judgment comes. And whoever rejects their peace, God, Jesus is telling them, reject them, shake the dust off your sandals, and this was not a common phrase. I researched it. It wasn't a common phrase at the time. It wasn't a common phrase at any point in the Old Testament. It may be that Jesus created this phrase to show everyone that his disciples received no hospitality. Maybe it became a common saying after. I couldn't even find it then. But shake the dust off your, off your sandals became common in English when, when Tyndale translated the Bible and he made so many little good phrases, and, and you'll find out if you do any study of English, how many uh, little phrases Tyndale used that have just become how we talk. Um, and that's one of them, uh, shake the dust off your sandals. But up until then, up until Jesus said that, it was not something that people said. Uh, it was kind of strange. Now, they would know what it meant, but uh, these towns are rejecting the king and his kingdom when he was right there. They had no excuse. Miracles were being performed. Uh, the dead was being raised. Lepers were being healed. Blind were being given sight. And they would reject these two messengers and receive worse condemnation than that of Sodom and Gomorrah. So we're walking on this earth, and we need to realize that it's his earth. It's his house. 
Humanity is the only reason that this earth is inhospitable. It's our fault. And the gospel is that Jesus has invited us back into the house and the peace or rest, hospitality of God. To reject that is to condemn yourself to a place where God's hospitality is gone. That's that outer darkness. When Jesus talks about a parable of the wedding feast and the servant who buried his talents, they were put into the outer darkness. It's a place where you get the hospitality of the enemy, and that's it. And maybe as much good hospitality as you can drum up, and it's not much. Um, and he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. It's one of the great uh, just discerning verses in the Bible. Be wise as serpents and harmless or gentle as doves. It's a great way to describe Jesus. He was wise. He wasn't naive. He knew the evil of man and what the Pharisees were plotting against him. And Paul was the same way. And Peter, they showed discernment. They, just, they don't just throw themselves into traps willy-nilly. Uh, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. doves. That's how we should walk in this world. Understand the world. Uh, don't be sheltered. Don't be unable to understand why somebody would be so mean to me. Uh, or why someone would lie or trick and just stumble into traps your whole life. That's not what the Christian is meant to be. We're meant to be wise and able to see the complex nuances of life and, and why people are the way they are and, and that they might lie to you, they might trick you, they might hate you. And Jesus is saying, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And Jesus is warning them that they will go out and receive the hospitality of the enemy in some places. That they won't be received well. In fact, they'll be hated, they'll be killed, they'll be brought before authorities and destroyed. And then he's saying, but guess what? I'll be with you. The words you speak will be my words. And it's a it's it's wrong to just think that you don't have to do any prayer, you don't have to draw close to God, you don't have to study his word. All you have to do is just throw yourself into situations and he'll give you the words to speak. Now that's not being wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. That's just being gentle and as and intelligent as doves. And doves and sheep are what we're compared to. They're not brilliant. Um so be wise. Be after God. He, there, there needs to be a desire for God, a, a thirst for His Spirit, a knowledge of His Word, and then Scripture will come to mind and things to say will come to mind, but He doesn't reward laziness. That's not who our God is. But He is saying, go out. They're going to treat you roughly. Some of you may die, and yet I'll be there with you. I'll be speaking for you, much like He told Moses, look, I made your mouth. I can make you speak. Now, here we are, we've covered uh, hospitality and shaking the dust off the sandals, but did you know that we can discover a mystery about Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and the angel and the high regard that God has for hospitality, all because of how Jesus referred to Sodom and Gomorrah in this passage and about shaking the dust off his sandals. I want to look at Genesis 19 now and see how highly God regards hospitality. It says, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, 
and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. So, quick refresher. God and the two angels have a meal with Abraham. They say, God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham's nephew Lot lives there. And he begs him and he says, please, if there's 50 good men, don't destroy it. And God says, well, there's not. And then Abraham says, well, what about 40 good men? Would you save it if there was 40? And he says, I would save it, but there's not 40. All the way down until finally God just says, well, there's only one. And it's Lot. And I'll go save him. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom, and when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn in to your servant's house and spend the night, and wash your feet. Now, that's a very strange way to invite someone. And several other translations, when you get into it, they'll say, Please turn aside uh, to your servant's house. And the order is very strange. Spend the night. And then wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go your own way. Then you can just get out of here as fast as you can. There's a reason Lot's waiting at the gate for strangers. There's a reason he doesn't say, come in the front door. It's more of a, hey, come around the side and come in the back door. Don't wash your feet until you're about to leave. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Why mention that? It's very strange. Sounds like they need to, they're going to need to get out of there quickly. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house, and they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we may know them carnally. Great group of guys. Um, this is usually what we focus on when we focus on the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him. Brave man here. He's going out and facing this crowd and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. Because they're they have to worry about you. I brought them in here to get them away from you. And it seems completely unrighteous to me, having two daughters, uh, to say, here, take my daughters, do whatever you want to them. That seems terrible. But when you insert hospitality, when you realize that Lot has been going out of his way to show hospitality in a way that other people won't see, there's a, there's a mystery here that uh, we're about to get to. But he's saying, I'd give my own daughters the lives of these two strangers. That's what's being called righteous here. We live in a very different culture, uh, but anyone reading it in the, the Middle Eastern culture in that day, and even to today, it's wow, what hospitality. And these men, they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came to, to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And so Lot's fairly new to the town. They've let him live around them. Um, and now they're saying, this one is always judging us, always that goody two-shoes, trying to be better than everybody else. You know what? Your time is done too. It's going to be worse for you than what we do to these strangers. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. And so Lot is standing between them and the door and they're shoving him so hard, the door's creaking, his ribs are probably getting bruised, they're just smashing up against him. 
But the men reached out their hands, pulled Lot into the house with them, and shut the door, the men being the two angels. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. So they're not even giving up. They've been blinded, and they're still just trying to find the door to go in and abuse these strangers. Okay. At the time of the birth of Jesus, Sodom and Gomorrah were infamous in Jewish culture, just like they are today. But not for the reasons we would think. We have certain sins in mind when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah. We've even named one of them after Sodom. But every rabbi and Jewish student in the time of Jesus knew the great sin of these two evil towns. They had abandoned hospitality. And when you get into the Talmud and the Midrash, um, it's really important to not read it as inspired scripture, but to understand that in the days of Jesus and the disciples and, and all of their writings, they did reference what was common knowledge. They understood it as Jewish legends and lore. So we don't need to take it as this is exactly what happened, but we do need to know this is why Jesus is referring to it in this way. In fact, according to Jewish legend, it was illegal to show hospitality to the poor and to the strangers in Sodom and Gomorrah. The rabbis taught that the cry that went up to heaven that God says he's going to investigate was from Lot's oldest daughter's torture and death. The story goes that every day she would go to the city well and on her way there, while her jar was empty, she would sneak food in it to help the poor and hungry in secret as she went to the well. One day she was caught feeding a poor man, and as a punishment, the wicked men of Sodom and Gomorrah covered her in honey and placed her under a giant's bee's nest, and her cries went up toward heaven. And that's a legend that they still tell today. We don't know if it's true or not. It makes a lot of sense, but it is exactly what everyone understood and had been taught about Sodom and Gomorrah, that it was a place where loving your neighbor was illegal, where the love of many had grown cold, where all the thoughts of their hearts were wickedness and violence. And this is the picture that the Jewish sages painted of these towns that were synonymous with evil. They were synonymous with the lack of love for their neighbor, the lack of love for the stranger, for the poor, for the, for the innocent. How does this connect with Matthew 10? Well, God sent two angels, messengers, to the towns. Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. They were told to go to a town, and if they were not received well, to shake the dust off their sandals. And then immediately Jesus ties them in to a worse punishment than who? Sodom and Gomorrah. And so I, I believe that we have here confirmation that Lot was a righteous man when you frame it into hospitality. If you're just taking this guy was going to give his own daughters instead of uh, these strangers, to me that sounds wrong. Uh, evil. I'm a Western mind. I'm an American. I would never do that. Uh, and yet here, the Eastern mind looks at it and thinks, what a powerful testimony to his his ability to sacrifice for hospitality. And um, what was happening there, if we frame it around hospitality, is Lot is saying, here, come through the side door. So no one will see me giving you hospitality because I don't want to be arrested. I don't want you to be killed. Uh, and then he says, but, and don't even wash the, the dust off your feet. Because if someone walks by the house and they see that you have clean feet, they're going to know I took care of you. He makes unleavened bread so they can eat fast and take off. 
And then he offers his own daughters instead of letting these two strangers be taken. It's all centered around hospitality. Now, why shake the dust off your sandals? Why did Jesus say that? To show that no one washed your feet. Like the Pharisee's house, when the woman washed Jesus' feet with her tears, Jesus said to the Pharisee after there's like some awkwardness, why are you letting this woman cry on your feet? He said, you did not even offer me a bowl to clean my feet, but this woman has washed my feet with her tears. <coughs> so Jesus, connecting the great sin of not receiving him and his with hospitality to the same sin in Sodom and Gomorrah, said, lets everyone see that they haven't had the common courtesy to even wash your feet. So he's saying to his disciples, if you go to a house that's supposed to be respectful and worthy, and they don't wash your feet, get out of there. Let everybody see your sandals, that they're still dusty. Clang them together. Let them see that puff of smoke. And they will know that they, you have been rejected, that you've came, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that you were healing, raising the dead, doing all of these incredible things, that the bridegroom is right here, that all you have to do is respond to this invitation, to this hospitality of heaven. And if they don't, let them know that heaven has responded. Uh, and it's, it's a scary thing to reject the hospitality of God. What can we learn from these two passages? That to God, hospitality cannot be separated from the good news. You can't be someone who doesn't love his or her neighbor and say that you're with Jesus. If you have the Holy Spirit, it'll move you to, to, to even, maybe you're terrible at it, but you've got that stir in the heart. Lord, I want to care for somebody. I want to show somebody the love of Christ. The, they are twins. You can't have the gospel without love for your neighbor. That the world will be judged by how they treat God's children. Uh, you can't have a more obvious example. Jesus is just saying, I'm sending you out as messengers for the kingdom of heaven. And if they reject you, they reject me. And lastly, that one of the truest ways to share Christ with someone is to share your home with them. Let's pray. Lord, as we've endured through the last two years, help us to take this lesson to heart and uh, to hang on and to not just endure it, but to grow and thrive and prepare our hearts and our homes again for a time soon when we can love our neighbors and have them over. Help us to be convicted if we think of people as things to be retreated from and to keep out of our homes. Thank you, God, for not treating us that way. Help us to think about the ways we can share heaven's hospitality, the same love and invitation that we've been given with at least one person this week. In Matthew 10, starting in verse 40, the one who welcomes you welcomes me, and the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he is a righteous, because he's righteous, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, I assure you, he will never lose his reward. That's just a great way to sum up uh, a chapter that Jesus talks about what really matters. It's about loving your neighbor. It's about sharing the kingdom of heaven. It's about giving hospitality, giving heaven's love, and remembering that this, this world is God's. And his hospitality 
is offered to everyone in the invitation of Jesus on the cross, of the forgiveness of sins for eternal life. And we are meant to care for each other. Whoever gives just a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because he is a disciple, I assure you, he will never lose his reward. And when we get the picture of evangelism, of inviting someone to our house, or uh, just sharing life with someone, understand that when someone cares for you, and they're not a believer, they will receive a blessing and they will feel it. Oftentimes we miss out on this, what's being described here, letting the world have a chance to care for us because we act like we have no problems. I've always found it uh, incredibly helpful to share my issues, to share my struggles, my weaknesses, to ask questions, to ask for help, even from those who don't know the Lord. They can still help you in some way because they're blessed with the image of God and the creativity of God and, and so many gifts of God. And when they get to bless you, they're actually blessing the body of Christ and they'll receive the blessing. Uh, to be in a relationship means that you're going to have to ask for help and you're going to get to give help. There's something um, absolutely holy and vital to the Christian life uh, when you connect with somebody, when you offer hospitality and when you're given hospitality. And it's not just being in a house. It could be you know your neighbor's sick, and so you bring them soup, uh, or you write them a note, you let your kids draw them a picture and say, we hope you get better. There are so, <coughs> so many ways, and uh, we're going to close and go to communion and just dwell in our God's incredible hospitality and his ability to, to bring us home, no matter what. Let's pray. Jesus, I think of what you did on the cross that you accepted us. You accept our cry for help by making sure that we have a home. You've told your disciples, uh, and it's passed on to us, that you go to prepare a place for us, to, to prepare heaven's hospitality for all of those who call on your name. And Lord, I just pray that we'd be calling on your name now as we worship, and we're so grateful for all that you've blessed us with and for giving us your invitation. I'm grateful here for uh, each person that has accepted and for anyone who hasn't, Lord, that they may know you in your name. Amen. All right. God bless. Love you all.